0: Welcome to Hashtag Resilience. This is Watson Jordan. I lead the Resilience Initiative, where we research and promote resilience from around the globe and back to you, our listeners. Our big idea, we can develop resilience. Our promise, we will show you how with inspirational stories and straightforward ideas. Learn more about us at www hashtag resilience.com. That's all one word. Make sure to check out our courses on Udemy, like 1010 Finance, and build resilience with the 531 plan. Look out for our new book, Resilience, How the COVID-19 Pandemic Made Us Wiser and Stronger. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. This episode of Hashtag Resilience is part of our Stronger and Wiser series, where we investigate what we can learn from the 2020 COVID pandemic. Today, we are joined by Stacy Koppis, international keynote speaker and author of How to Be Resilient, also the CEO of the Academy of Resilience, and a para-athlete. Stacey, welcome to Hashtag Resilience.
1: It is an absolute pleasure to be able to come and chat resilience with you today, Watson.
0: Well, you are welcome. And this is my favorite part of the show because let's talk about you. What are you doing? What are you excited about?
1: Wow. Okay. So let's talk about me. So um, you've already introduced me, Stacey Copas. I am, you can probably hear from my accent that I'm not from America. I live in Sydney, Australia. um, Beautiful part of the world to be living in. Absolutely um, blessed to be able to be a a Sydney cider. I yeah, founder of the Academy of Resilience and I help people to shift the way they perceive and respond to uh, uncertainty, change, and adversity. So my, my vision is a world where obstacles are seen as opportunities. So it's, um, it's, 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 a, it's an absolute gift to be, able to, to be able to share my own personal story of resilience um, and then be able to teach people different ways of building resilience in a really simple, practical way and a proactive way. So unlike um, a lot of resilience experts, um, similar to you, I've had my, my lessons in resilience come through life experience. Um, for me personally, that came about from uh, at the age of 12 years old. Unfortunately, I had um, an accident in a backyard swimming pool where I actually broke my neck and drowned. And that left me a quadriplegic and needing a wheelchair for the rest of my life. Now, that was thirty years ago. Now, and so I celebrated, and I do say that with absolute um, sincerity that I did celebrate that milestone um, because it has you know changed my life in the most amazing ways. And I would not have said that in the first few years after that had happened, Um, but as I was to get older and go through the the anger and the resentment and the morning of the life that i had and the life that i had wanted um i got to the point where i was able to look at what had happened with absolute gratitude and and be you know really really grateful for how my life had changed and the interesting thing is most people think how the heck can ending up a quadriplegic and needing a wheelchair for the rest of your life be positive
0: you know when you when when you, when you said that i thought about um you know, one of the things that happens in a real hardship is dreams we had from that life conclude. And it takes a while for the new seeds of dreams that are going to grow to take root. And just like you said, time is really our friend. And it doesn't seem like that all, the, but looking back in 30 years, fantastic, really something to celebrate. And time is our friend. Sorry. I interrupted you, and it won't be the last time.
1: <laughs> no, I absolutely welcome it. Um, it's 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 really good to to just get just uh, different angles and also you know, different questions because there's there's um there's, there's, there's things that I will say that then will prompt you know a, a curiosity from you, and I think that that's always good for a listener to because often if if you're if you're thinking of a question, often a listener is thinking of a similar question. Absolutely. So it's, Really good to be in the listeners' shoes, isn't it, when we're having these conversations. Um, so, yeah, so it was, a, it was definitely a gratitude experience for me. Um, but, you know, it's the, the first few years afterwards I would have given anything to, you know, I've turned back the clock and either not taken the dive that I did that led to that accident or, um, you know, to like at the lowest points I you know I didn't want to be around at all.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um but, yeah, with that gratitude shift, that was, that was you know, incredibly powerful, um, and I just I pretty much got on with life. Um, and obviously, I couldn't do what I wanted to do in the past. Um, prior to the injury, all I wanted to do was be a vet, and, you know, at that point in my life, I, I'd actually gotten into a selective agricultural college for my secondary schooling. So,
0: so you wanted to be a veterinarian?
1: Absolutely. That was nice. even before I started school. That's amazing. Like, That was the only thing I wanted to do, so I was very focused on that. And yeah, and having gotten into that secondary college that specialized in agriculture, that was that was the next step. I was an athlete before I had my injury. You know, I was the I was a pitcher in the softball team in the summer, and I was one of the first two girls um to play soccer for my school back then. You know, over thirty years ago, and. And I was, a, I was a, um, you know, a representative runner and I represented my school at every distance from the 100 metres right through to the cross country. Wow. So, yeah, so incredibly athletic. Um, so, you know, to then have an injury such as I did and then not being able to even walk or, you know, be completely independent, um, that was, um, it literally felt like a death sentence to me. But, yeah, so getting into, you know, into my 20s, things shifted for me. And, um, but I just got on with life and I didn't, I really didn't think there was anything special about what I was doing. And, but everyone used to say to me, Stace, how did you end up so positive and optimistic and ambitious and motivated, even though you've had so many things go wrong. Um, but I just, I didn't really think anything of it. And I was like, no, nothing to see here. I had what I called little old me syndrome now when I look back on it. Um, but it wasn't until I was into my, you know, into my thirties and I was doing a lot of personal development. And it was through mentors that I ended up working with that they had sort of said to me, you know, you know, this is something that you need to share. Um, And it was a mentor that put the label of resilience to what I did. It wasn't a word that I'd ever really experienced or used. Isn't that Um, fun?
0: I had the same thing. I was working with this really great woman, Diana Wu David, and we were taught, was was doing these things. And she kind of goes, you know, it seems like you're you're interested in resilience. So, and I heard that and I went, that is correct. So that it stuck for me. So yeah. did you have a similar experience or?
1: Yeah, for me, for me, it was, it was through a couple of mentors, but um, it was, it was one that had said, look, you've got an incredible story, but you know, as far as speaking and things go, um, you need more than a story you know you need you need something you can you can give an audience to take away so he said you've got an incredible story you know i the, this person had seen me speak for a 5 minute i did a 5 minute piece first time i'd ever shared my story on stage wow he said you made them laugh you made them cry in 5 minutes if you can then <gasps> yes <laughs> so he said that if you can have a framework or a teaching point around it then really you could do anything with this and so I worked with another mentor and she was the one that said resilience and she said okay so ultimately that was the process then of reverse engineering how did I get from the lowest to the low to where I was um, and then I popped that together first of all in a keynote then in an ebook then that eventually became the book how to be resilient um, which was which was great um so now primarily my work had been keynote speaking up until March 2020, (laughs) and which is it's 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 interesting, isn't it? You know, it's um you know we're we're a year in now, and um and and still there's no finish line in sight, so it's been interesting. But um yeah, so all of my work got cancelled, and then I had to learn to adapt to the online world, um, which I was very resistant to in the beginning, but I realised it was something that you know I needed to be of service. So again, happy to do. Do you remember?
0: Do you remember kind of a moment where you decided to pivot towards the online, online world or to give up the fight? Because in the book that we're getting ready to publish, a lot of the really great stories sound like that, where there was a point where they decided to pivot. And, you know, it's this there's not a right answer for the same question all the time, because sometimes it's the right thing to persevere. And sometimes it's the right thing to pivot. So do you remember much of it? Was there kind of a moment where you went, or did you just sometimes the slow transition is as powerful as anything?
1: Yeah, look, it was a slow, it was a slow thing, but I was I was getting asked to to speak online. And there was one particular event that I did, and it was just a 10 minute piece and i did 10 minutes and some q and a and it was the first time that i felt that there was an ability to connect online mm. and i realized that i was never going to get the experience that i get speaking in person but i knew that i could give a lot to an audience so it was having to go look this is different
0: that's a great I, distinction
1: yeah that was a that was that's, a big takeaway
0: that's a really big distinction that the The experience, yeah, because being on stage is a powerful time. So, but accepting that's not going to be the same. But because it's not the same for me, doesn't mean it can't be different or better or similar for the Zoom audience or however they do it. That's a great, that's a great. Point. And again, thinking about others, a little bit of selflessness can go a long way.
1: And, and that's what it was. I realized that I could actually create a greater sense of intimacy for an audience online than I can in a room.
0: Yeah, everybody has a good seat.
1: Everyone does. And I feel <laughs> like they feel like by, by me looking directly into the camera, it looks like I'm dire- looking directly into their eyes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I learned that I needed to do that. And then that evolved. So, so yes yeah, so have I've gone from speaking on stages to speaking to camera, and um, recognizing that it has been it has been challenging, it takes a lot more energy. Um, it's not as fulfilling um, from a presenter perspective. Um, but, you know, again, it comes back to why do we do what we do? It's like, we're here to be of service. So it's having to get over that, and then recognizing that economically, um, that if we don't make that adjustment, then you know we we still need to, we still need to make money and and have a you know run a business and do those type of things as well. So, but I did um through you know um I was also very fortunate to be able to start to work on different projects and do things like that. So, you know, at the moment I've um in the last, in the last month or so I've just started working on my next book, and oh tell us,
0: tell us about it.
1: Yeah, look, it's it's quite interesting because I, I started out with the intention that um, the book, the working title of the book, is Resilience Rocks, and it's actually exploring the relationship between resilience, well-being, and music, and more specifically rock, because that's been my genre of of, of choice. And it um, through the last year, I realised that music played a huge part in my not only survival but then being able to grow and um you know become more resilient and stronger through the challenges that I'd faced so it's ended up being a little bit of a you know homage to resilient uh, to resilience and and the power that music has to influence that um so yeah Can you name was- a,
0: a band or two or a song or two that uh you uh of- yeah,
1: for sure. Like I was I was incredibly fortunate to be at the lowest points in my life in the early 90s, which was the height of grunge. So <laughs> it was the most angstiest, angry, F you to the world type yeah. of thing, um, and it was the perfect soundtrack to my well, life at the time.
0: Well, and the thing you said that I just want to amplify for the listeners that music you really felt because it had so much base. I mean, it was, I mean, it wasn't nuanced. It, um, and for many people, I want to say everybody, but it's never everybody. Music changes the way people feel and art, ch- making art or anything creative Really changes how we feel, and in in your first book, which I liked was so much, it was very pragmatic. It wasn't here's an academic look at you know it was these are things that anybody can do. That I did, that worked, and they so all the different pieces may work at all the different times, but it, you know much more of kind of a how to book, which. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I thought was great, and music changes how I feel. I mean, it. I I listen to music consistently, and it lifts me up. So, oh, you know, I listen does, to yeah. the Bob Seeger is uh, my anthem. Is Beautiful. kind of uh, yeah. Uh, feel like a number is my go-to uh, for a little catharsis. It Excellent. Never, never disappoints. Never. No, and it
1: is, it's important to have these. And and again, as you said, the, the feeling it's like, and well, because music is a vibration and vibration yeah. then does actually change our physical state. Um, but I found that, um, you know, looking back and instead it took me, it's taken me nearly 30 years to really give credit to what a huge role it played in my life is I realized that music gave me a way to express myself that I didn't have the words to do at the yep. time. It gave me a way to not feel alone, and then once I started to go to to actually see live music, um, it gave me a sense of community and a sense of belonging that I didn't really feel I had at that time, and I think particularly in a at a rock concert, there is a really unique sense of community.
0: And, you know, sometimes when we get that, it can really feed us, but... We could we could have gone not knowing we're hungry, you know. There's yes. there's a great line in a, a movie about um, I'll remember her name in a in a second. But it was I was dying of I was dying of thirst, and I didn't even know it. Um, the uh, Patsy Klein story that was in. So if you ever really want to be sad and depressed. That's the way to go, Patsy Klein. So
1: Okay. It sounds like it sounds like an interesting one to delve into. but the, it, but it's true. A lot of the time we don't know what we want or what we need until we find it.
0: Yeah. And sometimes you hit that and you, you go, Wow, that was so great. I feel so much better. You know, just in a rock concert really is kind of, you know, it that's a lot of entertainment and a lot of volume. Um that is fantastic. So where are you in your book?
1: Yeah, I look. I'm at the beginning. I'm at the beginning, and nice. um, and um, what I'm what I've done this time around, as I've actually joined a writer, a writing program. Um, I'm incredibly excited to be that's, sort of sp- spending twelve months that's working brilliant. through the book with a group of twenty writers uh, with Neil Strauss, who you know is an incredible author, and um, you know has written you know the Motley Crue biography and. Edit, you know, was editor of Rolling Stone and, you know, is one of the probably one of the best nonfiction authors out there. And it's obviously ghostwritten for a lot of people as well. And so to have, you know, weekly coaching and, you know, critique and all that sort of stuff with somebody of Neil's caliber um, is really exciting. And, you know, I'm only sort of, I think we're at six weeks into the 12 months. And, you know, my my perspective on writing has changed. Um, my, my rituals around writing uh, are amazing. You know, yesterday I spent two hours, you know, with a writing buddy on Zoom. you know, with our microphones off, but just knowing someone else was there writing with you, yeah, and it was the best writing session I've done. I, you know, knocked knocked out over fifteen hundred words in, you know, in, in just under a couple of hours, and just it just felt like it was flowing. So, I'm at the stage of just, um, you know, complete brain dump, everything onto a page. I have no attachment to what's coming out. You know, my intention is that it's going to be around the role between music and resilience. But what I'm learning through Neil is the book will write itself. So I just need to keep getting stuff out and through what I get out, I will carve the book that's meant to be.
0: You know, it's a, we'll now kind of make a fun transition and I'm going to, Mess up our order a little bit. so you you're a published author, and I'm a published author, and I just finished writing my second book. And writing the second book was radically different than writing the first book um, on lots of levels. So I wanted to ask, how is it different? How has it been different for you so far? And then, my current book, which hopefully is coming out in maybe April, we'll have our big launch party, um, is called Resilience, How the COVID-19 Pandemic Made Us Wiser and Stronger. So if you were writing an essay for that book, I'm keen to kind of go, what would your essay be about? But first, what, what have you found is different as you start working on the second book uh, than the first
1: Everything is different. <laughs> like I, I like really, I feel that everything is different. It is just radically different. I really didn't know what I was doing the first time. Um, ultimately, I turned my keynote into an ebook. I crowdfunded the first book, nice, um, which is a really good process. And I think that's having the you know, being the entrepreneurial type person that I am um i'd been taught by mentors to sell it first make it later make sure that yeah it's it's all well and good for people to say yeah this is a great idea but until people put money to it then you really don't know like how committed people are i also thought it would help me be more accountable to get it done faster it did not but i communicated like i communicated <laughs> frequently and apologetically to my buyers um, i raised it was a little over 5000 us in that 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 crowdfund round um but also what i did learn is that i could have written it in a weekend instead i took 2 years which is just insane um, i was also incredibly structured with how i wrote the book like i I'd put the framework together and then I sort of made things fit. And this time around now, it's just free flow and see what emerges from me, see what needs to be expressed. Um, I, I realized, too, the first book was the book that I thought that I should write. Yeah. And I do air quotes around should because I hate the word. Um because it's just there's just so many elements around it that I don't like. Um, but I felt I, I wrote the book that I should write. Um, I've had people read it recently, and said one participant in particular, um, she said, "Stace, I realised that you didn't mention music in there. You know, you barely, you didn't really mention music uh, in there." And um, she goes, "That just seemed, seemed so foreign from the person that they know today." Um, so that was really interesting to to feel like, yeah, I wrote the book that I felt I should write. Um, So I'm enjoying the process. I'm I'm having to learn to surrender to the process a lot more now. Um, And so there is an element of uncertainty and um, sometimes letting go of that structure and letting go of some of the control um, is a little bit daunting. Yep. But I'm trusting the process and I'll see what emerges. And it may be radically different than resilience rocks. I don't know.
0: Well, Um, I think brilliant to be in a writing group with someone who's written before and more because, you know, you mentioned just having a writing session with a friend on Zoom and just so there's someone there and that type of cooperation can be really powerful. And you hear more and more their their meditation sessions on Zoom and it has limitations, but people are using it for things that are surprisingly effective. I hadn't thought about just doing that. But, you know, lots of times our, my kids will, you know, just have someone on FaceTime and carry them around the house for an hour and make dinner with them and, you know, like they're out of the Jetsons. So
1: it, it is a bit like that isn't it?
0: <laughs> so if you were going to write an essay for how the pandemic made us wiser and stronger what pops into your head?
1: There's two there's two big things that I feel have have come up that I feel have been incredibly valuable throughout the experiences to date. I think one of them is it's actually brought resilience to the forefront. Yeah. It's really made people realise just what a valuable skill this is um, for business and life. It, it, it's something that um, I think, think what it's highlighted is a, a lack of resilience, um, I think broadly, that people just were not equipped to deal with the uncertainty and the change. Um, and so I feel that the valuable thing is, is that people are realising that that there is a need to be more adaptable, to be able to, and not just cope, because I think this is one of the, the angles of resilience where I, I I get a bit concerned because I feel, particularly a lot of the corporate work I've done, I've really felt that resilience has become more synonymous with coping rather than growing, whereas I feel resilience is a growth it's a growth strategy. It's a proactive strategy rather than a reactive strategy.
0: Well and, and you know, I think that's what nature tells us. Cause in nature, things either grow or they end. There's no stay the same forever. And I think that growth is the that's the whole shooting match. I, I think that's why, you know, this is my bias. I think. People that like to learn new things or who are excited to try something new, I think that's a real advantage. Um, But the, and I don't think there's a real closeness between huge comfort and resilience. It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be discomfort, but when I become too much of a comfort seeker, then that at the end, the track record for that is suspect. Let's <laughs> say it's yeah. suspect.
1: <laughs> I like the way I like the way you put that. And because the thing is, people do sort of get people do get comfortable, and then people feel that oh, they're just they're just coasting, or they're they're just staying, you know, they're staying static. But this, the reality is, there is no plateau in life. There is no stay I, the same. Just as you said, you're either growing or
0: you're. Yep. It's
1: growing or you're dying. Pick a lane.
0: Yeah, my dad said you can only coast when you're going downhill.
1: Yep. And that's the other that's one I like. And the, yeah, and a similar one that I like is um, I heard someone say once that only dead fish
0: go with the flow. <laughs> <laughs> and so That's a good just, one. We'll make sure to. I think yeah,
1: that, I, I, I that'll be I, fun I, to
0: use. Dead fish yeah. go with the flow.
1: Yeah, um, because... That's the thing it is, it's like you you're either you're moving forward or you're moving backward, and and if you are not actively moving forward by default, you're moving backward. And yeah. I think this is a big thing. The other, uh, you know, when, what we've learned about resilience through the pandemic, and you know what, how we have become stronger and wiser, I feel that, that it's on that on that angle, is that people's complacency has been completely smashed.
0: Yeah. And that gets to comfort, kind of the complacency and the entitlement and, you know, yeah. Uh,
1: It it totally is. And I think that there is that perception that, you know, because things have always been this way, this is the way they're always going to be. And this is I think this has been a huge lesson and something that. I've been interested to see how people have responded to is that that whole, that thing is like, oh, you know, things are great and this is how they're always going to be. It's like, no, this has been such a huge lesson in this. And this is where I feel that my own personal story has become more relatable during this situation because the pandemic has given people a taste of what it's like to have your life completely changed in an instant and have a feeling of being out of control and uncertain about what's ahead.
0: I wondered if people were talking to you about that, if there was a connection there, because when I was, again, when I was reading the book, I went, this is not exactly like the pandemic, but there are elements of the pandemic that fit into both the model that you propose and your account of your journey. Fantastic. So now we're going to, I want to go back to our five three one plan, which is, you know, the five people you're surrounded with, the three communities that you invest in and, and harvest from. So there's a participatory piece in community and a core belief. And just ask, you know, in the past bit of time, which one of those have you been leaning on more? And if there's a fun story, everybody loves a fun story.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. because I think we've touched on probably elements of all of them as we've talked that we've talked today. Um, but I I feel that the the biggie for me is the core beliefs, um, and and the core beliefs for me is the things that I feel that we have the most control over as well. And I think particularly through the the last year or so, um, it's 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 important to focus on the things that we do have an element of control because people get so caught up in the external noise and I think when people get caught up in the external noise and they do lose sight of what's important and so for me, I, I disconnect from the external noise as much as possible and I do focus on, you know, what what I can do. And so there's a, there's a few, few core beliefs that I have and I think that have been incredibly valuable for me. During this time, um, for me, uh, you know, I touched on it earlier when I talked about my vision. You know, I believe that that obstacles are opportunities. Yeah, and it's choosing to look at them, and you know, whatever challenge comes up, is to go where's the opportunity in this, and rather it gets, than
0: that, gets back to that pivot that we talked about. You know, that sure. there's, you know, okay, there's not. Fantastic.
1: Yeah. So that's one of them. Um, The other one is like a core belief I have is that I'm grateful for everything and entitled to nothing.
0: Yeah. That's a, do you have any trick is the wrong word? I think there are things that I can do to continually reset my gratitude level. Because I, I mean, I make a gratitude list every, as close to every morning as is humanly possible. Just you know, and that is helpful. But at some point during the day, all that is out the door. And uh, any techniques for kind of recalibrating during the day, or
1: yeah, absolutely. This is something that and so gratitude is such a core. a a core value of mine. And I do have a little bit of a different take on it because I I do find that the, the, you know, the gratitude lists and the gratitude journals and, you know, write down three things or five things that you're grateful for. I found that personally, it didn't really work that well for me. Um, And I feel that sometimes it can, it can become a little, feel a little bit obligatory. And so sometimes that people may not come at it from the right headspace it may feel like a have to rather than a get to activity important and
0: distinction
1: so, yeah so and it also it requires actually um you know having to, to 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 do something as far as sit and write or do whatever so the angle that i take is i use mantras and so mm. i use a gratitude mantra because a mantra is something that i can use um, I don't have to write it. I can say it in my head. I can say it out loud. I can write it if I want to. But what I love about mantras is that they're quick, they're controllable. Um, there's no excuses. So the mantra that I use, and it started out as a self-love exercise back in the day, and it evolved into a gratitude mantra. And it's now the last thing I say when I go to sleep of the night. It's the first thing I say when I wake up in the morning, and it is that reset anytime during the day where I'm feeling whether I'm overwhelmed or I'm, you know, I'm feeling a bit in a rut or I'm flat or uh, I need to just get back on track. And the, the, the mantra I use is thank you for the opportunity to be who I am, where I am, with what I have at this moment in time. So it's thank you for the opportunity to be who I am, where I am, with what I have at this moment in time.
0: I really like that. And I, you mentioned this and it's super powerful. If I repeat something like that before I go to sleep and when I wake up, that's a, that's an impactful habit because the last thing you think about when you go to sleep is what's on stage, what's on center stage for a lot of the night. so if it's something I want to be there, it's fantastic. Yeah. We'll make sure yeah. you include that in the episode notes so that the listeners don't have to scurry and write it down. It'll be right there. No worries. Yeah. But why don't you say it one more time just so it's nice to hear. Yeah.
1: Thank you for the opportunity to be who I am, where I am, with what I have at this moment in time. And it's completely controllable no matter the situation. And ultimately, it it comes back to the intention of a gratitude list or a journal or looking for the things you're grateful for, and the mantra is to create a state of gratitude. I just feel that the mantra is so much easier to do, and it takes like fifteen seconds.
0: And it's super mindful because it's I'm here right now. You know, this is it's
1: all about coming I, back into the my, moment.
0: My friend Lewis calls that available reality. You know. <laughs>
1: is so good isn't it you are it's it's bringing you back because if you are truly in the moment it's impossible to feel depressed because depression is is generally a a a past tense experience yeah and 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 anxiety is a future paste so if you're truly in the moment it's 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 uh, it's really difficult to feel either of those two i'm with you
0: and that's why i'm an activity believer and some people kind of go oh that's just a distraction and i kind of go Well, kind of, but kind of not. Because if I'm doing something, I'm paying attention to what I'm doing, and if I'm doing that, I'm in the moment, and that's where I can regain my cadence for the day. That's fantastic. That's a great place. So that's as good as it gets, listeners. I you know hit you know listen to that a bit more. Well, now we're going to jump to our fun, quick strike round. So first, what book are you currently reading?
1: I'm actually reading multiple books, which That's is nice. not unusual for yep. somebody That's with not. the entrepreneurial <laughs> ADHD brain going on. Um, so I have two. Oh, I've, I've got I, I say my room is a book breeding program. I have a, I, I'm Stacey. I have a book addiction and um, I can see looking around me. I can see probably 50 books. And lots of them have bookmarks sticking out of them because I have a tendency to start things and then move on to something else. So the books that I'm currently actively reading, um, I have two hard um, paperbacks on the go. One is The Truth by Neil Strauss, um, and I wanted to really get into a bit more of his writing because I'm you know, in, in the writing group with him and I'm loving that. The other one um, is called You've Got One Shot by Craig Schulz and I think he'd be someone that would be amazing for you to have a chat to Watson, because he's got, he's, he talks about, he talks about resilience and adversity in business, but his, his, um, his real moment that shifted everything for him is um, their first child. Um, they, they found, I think it was like 32, 34 weeks, um, had no heartbeat. And so they had to go through the process of delivering and, doing all this and and that's completely shifted his perspective of life um and so he's like you've got one shot and Craig's an amazing man living in Melbourne and so I'm really enjoying reading his book and I'm on audible I'm listening to indistractable which is ironic considering I've got all of these different half-finished things (laughs) got to go I'm learning some tips on how to actually stay focused. Um, so they're the three that I've got on the go at the moment, but my Audible list is massive. My iBooks, my Kindle, my physical books everywhere in storage. I've got hundreds of books. I just love books. My favorite thing.
0: Jim Rome would be very proud. He'd be very proud. Um, yeah. So what's what music gets you going? If you've got to get going, what's that one song that yeah you put it in and I, turn it up?
1: Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of songs, but I've actually, I've actually created an entire playlist on Spotify called Resilience Rocks. Really? Um, so, if, Yeah, so if, and there's hundreds and hundreds of tracks on there. Is it um, available
0: so to the public?
1: It's a public playlist, so Resilience Rocks. Um, so I often just hit shuffle on there. But if I had to choose, um, there's probably two songs that I really like to get going. Um, one of them is called The Best Thing by an Australian sort of eighties band called Boom Crash Opera. And that one is, is a really good go-to for me. The other one, if I just, if I need a really quick energy boost and I just really want to, I often just um, pop the headphones in and dance like an absolute idiot. Um, and it's um, the Pointer sisters. I'm so excited. How can you not get how can you not get your vibration in your energy yeah. high when you've got that song on?
0: It's so great. Yeah, I often play that
1: to myself in my head. Um, and if I'm going on stage, um, I've had the Rocky theme play as I go on stage, and I often play that to myself in my head.
0: Because it's I'm about so to go great. On
1: stage. <laughs> about to go on stage. It's like you do the shadow boxing. and um, But, yeah, I played in my head. It's so good.
0: So good. It, it, it hits just a really core element where I feel better. I mean, I watch those movies and I, it's fantastic. Well, this has been the best hour of my week. I have just really enjoyed getting to know you and I'm sad for this to end, but it ends. And at the end we say goodbye listeners. So
1: goodbye listeners. It's been an amazing conversation with you, Watson.
0: Thank you for listening to Hashtag Resilience with Watson Jordan. Please reach out to me and let me know what you think. If you like our show, please subscribe, leave a rating, write a review. The episode notes include your main information about the show. Please take a look. We're available for speaking and facilitating, in addition to our researching, interviewing, and writing. Learn more about our work on resilience at hashtag resilience.com. Spread the word.